0: Hey everybody, it's Chris Campbell, and welcome back to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we're talking with Kate Vakil, founder of Gourmet Foods, about the low FODMAP diet and who could benefit from adopting it. But before we get started, I did want to take a minute to talk about the Food Institute's newest weekly newsletter, the FI Retail 360. Releasing at noon Eastern every Wednesday, the FI Retail 360 covers all angles of food retail, from grocers to suppliers and the market forces they face. If you want to sign up, click the link at the bottom of the description. So with that all said, we welcome Kayton to the show. I was hoping you'd open up with a little bit of a background on your company, Kayton.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Chris. Um, I'll give you a quick overview. 60% of Americans report experiencing a digestive issue on a weekly basis. And IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, affects at least 45 million people in the U.S., including me. Uh, So we're a line of deliciously digestible cooking essentials, um, broths and spices right now. are made from the highest quality gentle ingredients everything's low fodmap certified no gmos gluten fillers preservatives or of any kind just making stuff that's going to help people feel better when they're eating in on their day to day
0: and i know you know one of the things we talked about when we had our first intro call was that your you know your career path didn't really lend itself to this directly Um, (laughs) i know you didn't really go out you know aiming to own a food company but i know that your own Uh, Stomach issues, like you just mentioned, you had IBS, kind of played a part in, you know, putting this brand together. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your personal story and how that's really impacting your decision-making here with Gourmand.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yes, I've had had stomach issues since I was a teenager, probably 15 or 16. I always ate very healthy and there really was no rhyme or reason to when or why I would get sick. I went to a bunch of doctors throughout into my 30s, you know, Tried all these experimental medicines and had a lot of invasive tests that turned out not to be necessary. Um, and, you know, the common refrain our, our customers tell us all the time, oh, it's it's stress or you know, you just need to relax, like that kind of stuff um, that I have to deal with and a lot of people I know I have to deal with. And you know, one day I went down a kind of a Google rabbit hole as as we do and stumbled on some research about a certain like sugars and foods, uh, like like lactose, people are familiar with, right? Like milk allergies and things like this were problematic for some people um and there was a bunch of research about different kinds of sugars beyond the obvious ones and um, i live in new york city um, and i asked the hospital here to take this test that i read about and they they threw me in this back room and i drank these like sugar drinks for the afternoon and you breathe into this machine and it it sort of graphs out how your gut's reacting to the different things you're testing And, um, you know, that that test basically led to me learning that I had malabsorption of various different items. Um, And then I got referred to a dietitian there and she really helped me understand what foods would be triggers for those things and why. Um, And so, you know, coming out of that, you you imagine yourself finding you could no longer eat common things like apples, garlic, onion, mushrooms, cherries, just the list kind of goes on. Coming from a family that loves cooking, like like ours does, I'm, I'm half Indian. You know, there's, a lot, there's garlic and onion, lots of great stuff, and all those ingredients. This is you know, kind of depressing, but you know, it was comforting to learn that you know I was not alone. Right, one out of seven people have IBS in the world. It's a huge problem. And kind of my frustration here and this realization, I I decided that there had to be a way to to help not only myself but other people. Um, like I said, I live in New York. We have access to some great farmers markets, and I just started. Testing some interesting ingredients that, from the research I'd read, um, indicated they were flavorful without having this gut reaction. And I started making my own spices and broths and things like that. And then eventually decided, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to bring this stuff to the market because it's this is gonna help millions of people. And um, I don't want people to feel like eating is a um, is something not to look forward to because it is something to look forward to. And that's why. I,
0: So I'd love to talk a little bit more about those products later on, but I do think it'll be important to talk about this diet. You know, I think a lot of people see acronyms all over the place and they're not entirely sure what they're talking about. And I would be in that category for FODMAP. So I was hoping you can talk about this a little bit. And what does that abbreviation stand for?
1: Yeah, so it is a bit of a complicated diet. So it stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Um, they're basically simple sugars, short-chain carbohydrates that are poorly absorbed and rapidly fermented in your gut um, for some people. Um, so when you consume foods that are high in these FODMAPs, once they get to your intestines, they draw extra water from your body and increase this gas production. And that leads to these classic symptoms of IBS, you know, bloating, pain, constipation, diarrhea, those kinds of things. Um, and there was a paper in two thousand and five that first identified this as being a thing um and then the first research trial confirmed the role of the low fat diet managing these these kind of stomach symptoms that people have um, and that paper kind of led to all sorts of stuff, but in that original study seventy four percent of patients reported improvement in their uh in their symptoms, which is obviously really really high so yeah, and I can go. Do you want me to go into more detail about all the little pieces of the of the acronym? Because <laughs> there's a lot of detail there too.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's probably worthwhile a little bit. But I think the way yeah. we could frame it is maybe talking about some of the products uh, that are high in these, yeah. um, you know, sugars, but also some of the products that are low too. So why don't we start there so people have an idea of what kind of products we're talking about? You know, produce items really, uh, and then we can talk a little bit more about how each of these different things can affect you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's there's six um, there's six components of the font up. There are different sugars, and I'll just like name off a few products that are in those categories. So under that oligosaccharides, the O there's fructans. Uh, fructans are in garlic bulbs, onion bulbs, asparagus, pistachio, wheat. Like this is a tough category. A lot of great stuffs in that category. And the other part of the O are, are galacto O uh, oligosaccharides. That's mostly beans. So you know, think like. Black beans, chickpeas, that, that kind of stuff. Um, under the D in the food map, there's lactose. Uh, so just think milk products. Um, you know, heavy cream, milk, ice cream, that sort of stuff. But in that category, there's lots of great things that have milk. They're made from milk, but they're low in lactose. So butter, Greek yogurt, pretty much all aged cheeses. They're all low lactose. There's, and there's lots of great um, dairy alternatives out there these days and lactate counteracts this. So, you know, that enzyme lactase enzyme is a great solution for this category. Um, under M, this is a tricky one. So under M there's excess fructose, which is kind of complicated, but it's the amount of fructose in products being greater than the amount of glucose. So products will have a measurement of fructose and glucose. And if that ratio is kind of, um, heading higher on the fructose side, when you do the math out, that's where it can cause problems. And the most obvious like example of this is high fructose corn syrup. There's no glucose. That's just it's just a fructose artificial kind of um, sweetener. And that's you know it's in Coca Cola, like kinds of things, for example. Um, but healthy things have excess fructose too. Um, apples, mangoes, ripe bananas, but unripe bananas don't. So you can have uh, just have slightly greener bananas on this diet. You're fine. Um, uh, blue, blueberries um, are fine. There's a bunch of fruits that are fine as well. So you kind of have to learn where to go. And in some cases you can have like a pea, like a slice of an apple or a piece of a man. You can't have the whole thing, you know, so there's kind of lines with this stuff. And then the yes. last category. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, go ahead with the last category. And then we can get yeah. to my next question. Cause I have a lot.
1: There's, there's a lot. here. We can circle back on anything too. The, um, the P, the five map polyols, there's two components. There's sorbitol, which is mostly in stone fruits. Um, you know, plums, peaches, nectarines, that sort of thing. And um, mannitol is in a lot of mushrooms, cauliflower, that type of thing. Um, but not oyster mushrooms, for example. So I, I seek out oyster mushrooms whenever I can because you can eat a whole boatload of those without trouble. But button mushrooms are kind of a problem. It's, there's all these, like, weird little things. Um, broccoli is another good example. The broccoli stems are high, if up. The broccoli, like, crowns, um, the florets are, are fine, right? So you just have to learn kind of the parts of the plant that are going to treat you
0: kinder you know so it sounds extremely complicated and it's making (laughs) me wonder you know we just talked about all these things you can't eat so what can you eat when you're on that low FODMAP diet what would that entail I know you brought up a couple pieces here where it's like you can have a piece of an apple there's certain fruits but in general if you're on a low FODMAP diet what is going to be you know your primary food source here what do you typically looking at when you're yeah uh, i mean the, the list
1: is is still rather huge and like i said there are these lines about how many things you can have so yeah, you can't sit and have a whole apple but hey i have a lot of berries um every protein is safe rices are great um a lot of different like soy sauce is great and miso and um you know pretty much every spice you can think of is low except for kind of the garlic and onion powders of the world um, uh, pe- peppers to a certain extent, like bell peppers are great. Jalapenos. There's there's a huge list of things uh, that that are fantastic. Um, so you're mixing pro- um, you know, on the vegetable side. We could talk about like um, spinach. You mentioned the bro- bro- broccoli florets. Um, a little bit of some of the things that are higher, like a couple of beans, a couple of pieces of okra, a little bit of corn. So that sort of a thing. So you kind of mix in. Um, even on the legume side, so chickpeas up to a certain extent are fine. There's certain beans that are lower than higher and fine And you kind of – everyone's a little different here. You kind of have to test yourself and see where your line is. Um, I mean, mentioned fructan. We'll get to this probably a little bit more. So wheat can be a problem because of the fructans. But sourdough bread, because it goes through this fermentation process, um, lowers the fructan level. So I have sourdough, like, all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So yeah, I think that's actually a good place to talk about fermented foods a little bit because when people hear that fermented is part of FODMAP, that acronym, they probably get a little afraid. Considering there's been a lot of you know good press about fermented foods in the last yeah. decade or so, so I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the differentiation there because. As far as I can tell, it's not so much a fermented food, but the fact that it's being fermented within you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you got
1: it exactly right. Yeah, I agree with you. Fermented foods are are fantastic for gut health. Just in, in general, they are. Um, and the fermentable part of the FODMAP acronym is is referring to those particular sugars getting fermented too quickly in the gut for some people and causing these symptoms. And yeah, I already mentioned one of my favorite from fermented in quotes food is uh, sourdough bread. Miso is a great. Uh, low fat map uh, product. Um, what else? Greek yogurt. You know that kind of yogurt is is goes through fermentation. Tempeh, tofu, firm tofu is low fat maps. So there's a lot of a lot of great options there too. Absolutely.
0: And I would like to talk about the consumer on the this type of product or not product, but diet really. Um, I know we talked earlier. You know, a staggering amount of people in the world have IBS. Mm-hmm. What other kinds of ailments are people kind of? curing with this diet maybe not curing managing might be a better word but you know what kind of other you know ailments could someone you know maybe address with this kind of diet
1: i think some people may not be diagnosed with ibs right but they seem to get bloated every time they eat or or gassy or maybe they get tired um there's a lot of those kinds of things i think most people just kind of just kind of live with it but you don't really have to if you're willing to put in a bit of the work and if you like to cook and you like to investigate new ingredients and things like that. um, I think, do you want to talk about uh, the gluten-free thing here a little bit?
0: Yeah, I think this is a good place to bring it in because this is really interesting to me, but also kind of showcases, you know, how many people could be benefited by even adopting this diet part-time, I think. So I think if you could bring that up, but I do think that's an interesting kind of story to talk about. So if you want to, you could bring it up here.
1: Yeah, I think the, the, the gluten-free um, or the, the non-celiac uh, gluten-sensitive kind of crowd, they don't have celiac disease, but they, they've cut out gluten because they think it's causing them problems. Um, it's kind of one of my favorite topics. Obviously, if you have celiac, you you have to eliminate wheat, right? That's, you can't eat sourdough bread, you know, you're kind of out, but it's it's a tiny population, like half the percent of the world has celiac. But, but the other people who are getting blurred, like I'm going to cut out, wheat because um, it makes me feel bad there's been some some great studies about this um, that it's actually the the fructin which is one of those spa maps in the wheat that's causing that problem so people might be unnecessarily cutting out all the wheat um, but they're still having garlic and onion and various other things over here and they're not necessarily feeling better and they've kind of gone about it the wrong way so there was a study that was done, I think it was in 2017, that, that showed it was the fructin levels and they, they tested people in a blind study. It was a very interesting study that proved it was the, um, the fructin and not the gluten, but the train had kind of already left the station and that gluten-free um, situation had taken on a life of its own. So, you know, I, I would encourage people to just explore that a little bit. Um, you don't want to unnecessarily cut things out know, that you don't have to. Um, and actually I should, that's probably a time to actually circle back because when we started, I talked about the huge list of like, of no's in these categories, but most people don't have to cut out everything in every category. So the best practice really is for a couple of weeks, you really do, you eliminate everything and you're going to feel much better. And then one by one in those categories, you test back in, I'm going to test some fruit and stuff for a few days. And if I feel great, great. I get that category back. Or if I don't, you know, I know that that one's a no, no. And you go through all six. And you might come out um, with three or four being fine for you, you know? Um, and then you, you live under a modified, you know your list of things, and you still have tons of things you can still have in addition to what's well, already a lot of things you could have. So I, I do want to encourage or kind of, if anybody's listening, it's not this, um, I don't know, doesn't have to be this depressing death sentence, right? There's tons of options out there, um, and most people don't have to cut everything out anyway.
0: And speaking about some of those options, maybe we should talk about some of those gourmet solutions a little bit. So I want to talk about some of those products and that, you know, how it kind of differentiates you in the market. So I'm hoping I know you said at the top but maybe go into a little bit more detail about the products that you're currently selling.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, so we walked through these, uh, about these categories at the top. And um, I found that this oligosaccharides category where the where the fructans are is the trickiest one for people to get back and the most depressing one because if you don't get that back and you're like, oh my God, I can't have garlic and onion anymore. That's when you start to freak out. Cause you know, I did, that's very disappointing. because it's, it's in everything, right? Every go to a restaurant, any packaged food, it's all got that stuff in there. So we started um, our product line. We started with that kind of problem in mind. Um, you know, as we know, those are inexpensive, but tasty and healthy flavor enhancers. If you can't have them, it's depressing. So rather than finding, Natural flavor solutions in a lab for those missing flavors. We found plant based solutions for that stuff. So we are working with farms to source uh, garlic scapes, garlic chives, and green onions at the tops of scallions, basically. So we custom grow, uh, dry, and turn those into seasonings, into powders. So we're basically powdering the, the safe parts of various plants that taste of garlic and oniony sorts of flavors. And they're just just a pure ingredient that you can use instead of this stuff that makes you sick um, and we kind of use that same approach to make a, a chicken broth chicken bone broth where we we found a team that will um, purchase the vegetables and cut the the root parts off the bulb parts that are high fodmap and only leave us with the low fodmap parts it still tastes great they go in a big tank with the chicken bones and you get a really flavorful chicken broth um, that's hard for us to make but we save you time and um, and it doesn't make you doesn't make you sick, so those are our, our initial products.
0: So taking a look at those, was it difficult to source any of those ingredients? I know you know scallions are relatively easily available, but did you find it hard to find a supply chain to put these products together?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you so scallions, yes, yeah, scallions are easy to find. Uh, oh, we obviously want to do organic, and we want to grow a variety that is very green. Um, so the green shoots that come out the top are low fi map. But if you go to the grocery store, usually half of it, they're kind of white. And those parts aren't low fi map. So we had to grow a species that was very green and work with a farm to do that. And So we're not wasting uh, too much of it. And uh, yes, and finding farms also that would, like, garlic chives are not grown very much in the United States. It's really popular in, in Asia. But we wanted to grow domestically for freshness so we found a farm that would grow that for us, and we we drive it up early in the morning to have it have it dry kind of right away and same with the garlic scapes they're only available a few weeks every year so months ahead of time we have to just work with the farms to make sure we can buy what we need to buy because if we miss it you have to wait a whole year for that
0: so yeah it's it's, it's tricky are you finding it's getting a little bit easier now that there's a little bit more interest in this diet, or is it still too early on for that to start changing as far as you know finding farms to kind of source these yeah, raw ingredients? It's interesting. We we
1: started this kind of in the the midst of COVID, and farms actually were not as tricky for us because they had lost a lot of restaurant customers and had a lot of surplus land um, to kind of experiment with us. So that was fantastic. Um, the supply side, actually finding manufacturers that would do stuff custom for us was a real big challenge though. And that still kind of is to this day because most companies want to just pull off the shelf ingredients and buy frozen, you know, a bag of onions um, and throw them in the, in the broth tank, you know, but we have to buy specialty scallions and someone's got to cut them and only use the good parts. right? So. Finding people that agree with our vision and and, and trying to help people and we'll do it the way that we want it done so it's safe is is challenging for sure. It's really custom.
0: We're running out of time here, but I do want to ask two more questions. So maybe we can get through these pretty quickly. But one of them is just, you know, taking a look at the pipeline for future products in the second half of 2023 or beyond. Is there any other type of product that you're currently targeting for the low FODMAP diet?
1: Yeah, definitely. We're, we're in the middle of a, a brand and packaging refresh that we're going to roll out toward year end. We're very excited for that. And alongside that, we're going to be launching some new spice blends. We're going to do some salt blends with our uh, unique bases, as well as a, uh, a taco spice. And we're hoping to do a, an umami uh, a kind of a product that'll use the oyster mushrooms I mentioned that are safe, but hard to source, and maybe some miso It'll Be kind of a fun seasoning. And then we're working on a, a organic beef broth and a vegetable broth to kind of complete that trinity of all the things you need to kind of make what you want to make
0: it's very cool and if anybody wants to kind of follow along with gourmand where should they go
1: yeah definitely our site gourmandfoods.com and uh if you want to drop us a note hello at gourmandfoods.com i respond to almost all the emails myself i love hearing from any of your listeners certainly
0: awesome so i really want to thank you for your time today kate and i know it was you know not an easy path to get to this point with your company. You know, a lot of personal stuff you had to go through there. But I definitely think that it's an interesting product, and we've definitely seen a lot of interest in this uh, diet recently. So I really want to thank you again for spending some time with the Food Institute podcast and giving us an idea what the low FODMAP diet is all about. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. It was fun. And that'll do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. I want to thank Caten for his time today. And I also want to make sure you remember to take a look at FI Retail 360, and the sign-up link is available in the description of this episode. So, that'll do it for us this week. We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell, signing off.